This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Welcome to the Freedom Hut team. Great to have you with me here on this Tuesday, August 31st. We have all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. The Taliban is taunting us with mock funerals in the streets of Khost and Kandahar. A news anchor surrounded by Taliban guys with guns says, don't be afraid. Meanwhile, libs still trust the media and Amherst College. My alma mater goes full COVID totalitarian. We'll get into all that in just a moment. But my friends at Carnivore Trading are doing incredibly this year. All right. I love this Carnivore Trading testimonial. Morgan writes, I have zero time to study stock trading charts. Today, I sold the stock you highlighted for a 486% profit. Do all Carnivore stock records rake in 486%? Of course not, but monster wins happen more than you think, which is why I follow Carnivore's advice too. Carnivore is an elite group of Wall Street traders who reveal their stock trades in real time, and right now, it's free. You choose. Watch your mutual funds die a slow inflation death or... Take control of your portfolio at Carnivore. This is where people with little to no trading experience can crush it in their spare time. Try it free for two weeks. See and mirror their trades or just watch to see how much you'd have made. Visit GetOurTrades.com. Again, that website is GetOurTrades.com and use promo code BUCK. GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. We are out of Afghanistan. They did this ahead of the uh, deadline. Uh, they didn't even wait. I guess you could say on Afghan time because they're nine, ten hours ahead, something like that. Uh, they decided to, to move in advance of the, uh, the U.S.-based timeline deadline. Uh, and, and there are some very notable things we have to say right away. One is they did leave Americans behind. They did leave over a hundred U.S. citizens on the ground. So remember when Joe Biden promised, promised that they would not leave, uh, they would not leave without making sure every American was out? Well, that was a lie. Uh, that was not true. And there's a lot here that we can do to analyze the situation. We can talk about, for example, did the Taliban really offer to give the U.S. full control over Kabul and to manage the whole evacuation, including security for the whole city. There are reports about that. Did the United States decide uh, that, that they were going to pull out, even though they knew there were Americans who were actively trying to get to the airport? We keep hearing about people who want to leave. So were there people who wanted to leave who could not get out? Well, I understand where your head is and where mine is um, on this one. We have to get ready, though, for what the other side is going to do and say. But first, here is General Kenneth McKenzie, and here's what he says about this departure. Play six. Look, there's a lot of heartbreak associated with this departure. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out. But I think if we'd stayed another 10 days, Louis, we wouldn't have gotten everybody out that we wanted to get out. And there still would have been people who would have been disappointed with that. It's a, it's, it's a tough situation. But I want to emphasize again that simply because – we have left. That doesn't mean the opportunities for both Americans that are in Afghanistan that want to leave and, uh, and Afghans who want to leave 
they will not be denied that opportunity. I think our Department of State is going to work that very hard in the days and weeks ahead. So they're going to be negotiating with the Taliban for the departure of Americans who were left behind with our very hasty deadline here. Now, I understand it was a 20 year long war, but you would think that they could have extended this out a few days to get the Americans out and to do so with some semblance of American security and projection of force on the ground. Now it's going to be, okay, Taliban, please let our guys get through to the airport. Please let them get on those planes. Don't kidnap them. Don't murder them or mutilate them. Let our Americans through. We're also going to be negotiating over some Afghan SIVs, uh, these special immigrant visas that were left behind because they didn't have exactly the right paperwork. I had friends that were trying to coordinate behind the scenes to get certain Afghans out who should have been able to get out based upon the promises made to them by the United States, but they were unable to because of some issue in their paperwork. Or maybe it was just they couldn't get safely to the very front of the crowds at Kabul airport. Remember, the Taliban has actually been in charge of security uh, during this whole process because they have the outer ring. So you couldn't actually get to Kabul airport unless the Taliban let you. And now they control everything. You've seen the photo of the last American soldier getting on a transport plane to get out of Afghanistan. You've seen the photos of Taliban fighters decked out in American gear, head to toe, walking into a giant uh, hangar with Chinook helicopters still in place. And yes, the billions and billions of dollars we spent equipping and training the Afghan National Security Forces That has fallen directly into Taliban hands. So they walk around now dressed in brand new American gear. Courtesy of Uncle Sam, Taliban fighters look like they actually are ready for the fight. And John Kirby was on MSNBC. You know, this is the guy who's the Pentagon spokesman. He was asked by Morning Joe, how does it feel to place so much faith in the Taliban and to have had to do that this whole time? Play one. There's nothing about faith here, Willie, N- nothing at all. It's not about trust. Uh, we, we developed a pragmatic relationship that we had to do over the last couple of weeks to help get people safely to the airport and get them out of there, and it worked. Uh, but uh, believe me, n- nobody's, nobody's resting on laurels here, and nobody's just going to tr- take it at, at face value what the Taliban say. We're going to hold them accountable for their actions, not just their words, their actions. And again, we have tools available to us across the range of our government uh, to do that. We'll see about that. They have had to put a tremendous amount of faith in the Taliban. That much is clear. Maybe they don't trust them, but they have to ask them to do things. Kind of beg them, really. It's embarrassing, isn't it, for the United States to be dealing with this medieval cult. Um, medieval cult that treats women brutally and children. This was, in, this was the actual question posed to him. Is the Taliban different now? Well, you probably saw if you were on the Internet yesterday and on social media, the Taliban hanging somebody from one of our six million dollar U.S. Black Hawk helicopters flying that person around Kabul. I mean, this is a group that is led by men of savage mindset who embrace a fundamentalist brutality that has not gone away. Now, in the short term, they they perhaps, and this is true, 
recognize that some of their interests are served by not going as crazy as they possibly can or would want to. But how long will that last? And what are we going to do about the Americans left behind? Here's John Kirby on MSNBC again, asked about the Afghans who have been left. Remember, the Afghans that the United States government promised we will get you out. Do this for us. We will get you out. And I understand right now there are people who say, oh, but we're taking in so many Afghans. Have they all been properly vetted? They all do need to be properly vetted. And there needs to be procedure in place to make sure that we don't have infiltrations of any ISIS sympathizers. And I, I think those are all very fair points. I, I stand with that notion. But I also believe that when you shake a man's hand, whether it's you're an individual or you're the government of the United States of America, and you say, this is my word, this is my bond, here is the contract, you keep that. This is a point of honor. If we are an honorable people, our government keeps its word to those who help in conflict zones around the world. So what do we do about those Afghans who were left behind, who were primed? I'm not talking about Afghans who just want to get out because they don't like the Taliban. I'm talking about those who we made a deal with, right? And we're not supposed to double-cross people. We're America. I know that we're not perfect, and our government, as we've seen very clearly, is somewhat run by buffoons. But what do we do about the Afghans left behind? Here's John Kirby, play two. I would tell them, Willie, that they still have that commitment. Uh, we thank them for their service. We're, we're grateful for what they did. Uh, and we moved out an incredible number in, in a span of uh, two weeks, 123,000, the vast majority of which were Afghans, Afghan allies, people like them who helped us. Uh, as General McKenzie said yesterday, we're heartbroken that we couldn't get everybody out. But they still have our commitment. They still have the commitment uh, of this administration and the United States. And we're going to do everything we can to continue to try to get them uh, uh, out of that country and, and, and outside safely what is that commitment really worth what does that commitment mean what does it do hmm i think if you ask some of the terrified afghans who are hiding right now and hoping they don't receive these night letters that have been put on doors in kabul and i'm sure in places all over afghanistan saying we know who you are we're coming for you i'm not sure Kirby saying that we are committed to them really does very much at all. But this is what we're left with. This is where we are. Um, there are many questions that remain. Among them, is this going to become a terror safe haven? And what will that look like? What will that mean for the rest of the world? Now, I've been hearing this phrase, Saudi Arabia without the oil, as in the Taliban wants a strict fundamentalist Islamic regime. But of course, they don't have the enormous financial resources that come from oil reserves. They will be selling a whole lot of opium, but even that is not on the same scale as what you get in the Saudi oil fields. So that will mean there's a different level of uh, force projection and ideological projection all over the world, even if the Afghan Taliban goes all in on jihadist philosophy. But what about these ISIS fighters who are in this splinter faction, if you will, are, are this other entity operating inside of Afghanistan right now? How many of them are there? 
what is their strength? Here's General McKenzie again talent talking about that. Play five. They remain a very lethal force, and I think we would assess that probably there are at least 2,000 hardcore ISIS fighters in Afghanistan now. And, of course, many of those come from the prisons that were that were opened a few, a few days ago. So that number is up and is probably as high as it's ever been in quite a while. 2,000 hardcore ISIS fighters. I mean, the Taliban opened up the prisons and let out the worst of the worst. So you can imagine what that's going to do to this society. And there's so many ways this could play out. You could even have a circumstance where right now, maybe the Taliban leadership is pragmatic in its approach to things. Now, pragmatism doesn't mean that they're good guys, obviously. It just means it's in their interest right now. You know, this is this starts to be like, well, you know, we fought against the Nazis and we allied with the Soviets to do so. The Soviets were really bad. Stalin's regime was really awful and uh, and evil and wanted to destroy us, too. But sometimes you work with, you know, the enemy of your enemy is your friend as the as the mantra. And you forget about the fact that they're still your enemy. And I think that we may see that playing out with ISIS fighters in Afghanistan. I'm not sure yet how this will go. And remember that all the projections you see, all the, the claims out there about what's going to happen are coming from an intelligence and national security apparatus that has been humiliated. I mean humiliated by the fall of the Afghan national security forces that they apparently could not see coming at all, had no idea how is that possible well apparently it is because it just happened we saw it happen so remember that as you hear people prognosticating on the future of afghanistan but our 20-year war there is over it's done and there's going to be a lot of soul searching a lot of after action report and analysis about what was achieved what wasn't achieved how do we get drawn in for so long? What did we miss? And as importantly as anything else, perhaps most importantly, how does the lesson of Afghanistan affect us going forward? How does this whole process of 20 years in this country as a nation, what, what does it tell us about our future? I mean, I will say that I believe it means nation building, especially in cultures uh, or in countries with cultures that are very different from our own. Not a mission set that we take on. Never again. Not doing that again. Uh, mission creep and the sense that you can drift into a longer and larger obligation than you initially set out to when it comes to military force and all the reconstruction efforts and democracy promotion and all that. Not our job. Not our mission. We can help others who want to do it for themselves. We cannot do it for them. In many ways, I think that's one of the biggest lessons of Afghanistan. We had our brilliant, brave soldiers out there trying to hold together a country that just didn't have the cultural, political, social cohesion to stay together itself. And we couldn't hold it together for them. And we couldn't do the fighting and the logistics and the things that we had been forever for them. And so this is where we are. Let's talk in a second here about how is this going to be spun? 
What is the PR from the Biden team, from the Democrat news industrial complex going to be about this situation? I will come into that in a moment. But I know Mike Lindell well. He's the inventor of MyPillow, and his team is incredible. They've hooked me up with so many of the products from MyPillow. I love this stuff. I buy it now for family members regularly. Mike fit me for my very own MyPillow years ago. It's been a game changer for my sleep. But I also have their mattress topper on my bed. It's so soft and plush, and I'm telling you, you lie down on it. It's just like this, this giant cloud of relaxation that you'll feel. Plus, the Giza Dream sheets are so soft, incredible. The towels they have are very absorbent, feel really good on your skin. The slippers, the My Slippers, I just saw some friends over the weekend who love their My Slippers. Go get your pair today, all right? You can help yourself to these incredible products right now by going to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special Square, and there you'll see rotational offers of up to 66% off on products like their pillows, the mattress topper, and the Giza Dream sheets but also new products like their slippers, weighted blankets, robes, waffle blankets, and more. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Enter promo code BUCK for these great radio specials. Again, MyPillow.com. Enter promo code BUCK. You'll see rotational offers up to 66% off. That's at MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special square. Use promo code BUCK. Now, there are the... So stupid, nobody will believe it explanations for the Biden decisions in Afghanistan. And, and then there are the ones that I think are unfortunately going to be a little bit more effective. But on, on the so dumb, nobody really is going to be able to get very far with them. It, I mean, if you're looking for the height of stupidity, Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii, and as I've said, Hawaii, such an amazing place. Such bad politicians and politics come out of Hawaii. I love Hawaii. I love Hawaiians. I love the people who live there. But Maisie Hirono, it's just a Democrat enclave. Anyway, here is uh, the senator on how it's Trump's fault, of course. Play seven. There are a lot of uh, Afghans who were applying for the special immigrant visas and uh, the Trump administration slow walk these visas. Uh, to the point where it was uh, not even happening. And, and so the, the uh, development of uh, a, a lot of our Afghan partners and their families who are not able to get out is not something that just happened overnight, that this is a, this is a, a situation that was uh, very much um, on, in my view, the Trump administration. But we're going to move forward and do everything we can to get all of these people out in the coming months. Ah, for the it's the Trump administration, you see. Now, this is what I want to tell you right now. So you you prepare for that because that's just they'll try that. I don't think that's really going to work. Blaming Trump. It's it's weak. It's a little bit like when they said, you remember when Trump had a roaring economy? Well, for three years, the only thing that stopped the roaring economy was covid, which had nothing to do with Trump, as we know. Uh, But for three years, we had this was booming economy. But the first two years of it. We kept hearing about the, oh, it's the Obama economy. It's the Obama economy that's so, it's not Trump. And, and this, was, this was just weak sauce. This was JV kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the Obama. Trump's running the show now. Trump is, is, has put his people into place. 
And 18 months in, 24 months in, we're going to say it's Obama that's the reason the economy is so good. It was laughable, right? I mean, they were going to be Trump was running for reelection after his first term. Oh, it's the Obama economy. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that they said. No one really believed that. No one really believed it. But on this Afghanistan situation, get ready for it. Give it about a week, maybe less. And the Democrat corporate media will be talking about Biden's genius in ending the war and the amazing improvisation his team showed under pressure. And they will look at anyone who questions this Soviet style rewriting of recent history like they're the crazy one. I know that you must be thinking, come on, that's not they can't. No, but come on. No. Yes. Yes. All of the debacle, the losses uh, that we suffered here of prestige, all of it. That will I mean, the only part of this that the Biden administration isn't going to be able to completely whitewash is, of course, the loss of our 13 brave American service members. That's the part of this that is going to endure. But other than that, it's, it's all going to be. And they'll say, oh, you know, nothing is perfect. It was a chaotic situation, but we made the right move. I'm telling you what feels right now like the Biden administration is. Everyone was agreeing a week ago what a disaster this is. Give it a give it a few days, maybe a few weeks. They'll be saying, you know, Joe actually did a pretty damn good, a pretty good job. Joe actually got it done. Yeah, he's he's a really strategic genius. Actually, oh no, he's fantastic. I know you hear this and you're like me and you want to throw things, but they're already getting this ready. They're already preparing this narrative for the future. Uh, I mean, here's Claire McCaskill, for example, on the White House deadline that now has has been enforced. Here you go. Play play three. What you really need to realize is the speed with which the Taliban took over validates Joe Biden's decision because our mission had failed. Now, was the deal that that Trump did ridiculous? Yes. Was he asking the Taliban to Camp David and acting as though they were valid state actors? Yes. All of that was bad. But the bottom line is, no matter when we pulled out, it was going to be messy. No matter when we pulled out, there were going to be throngs of people gathered at the departure point, And our military would have been called on to protect them, which makes them sitting duck for these terrorists. See, it was always going to be bad. Joe Biden gets credit for being brave. Forget about the fact that this whole thing collapsed in what felt like minutes Forget about the fact that we left Americans behind. Forget about the fact, yes, Democrats, that we took casualties over there. They're going to try to memory hole all of this. Joe Biden made the right call, a gutsy call even. I know you hear this and your blood boils. I feel the same way. But if you think that there's going to be some massive surge of accountability for Biden being a clearly not up for the job buffoon. I got another thing. I got another thing to tell you. It's not going to happen. I, I, I also feel this way. And I don't hear a lot of other conservatives say this. I really resent the fact that they've put us in a position where as somebody who thinks about analyzes comments on politics, I, I don't ever like making making fun of dementia or any. It's not something that it's you know very serious issue. It's like making fun of a physical infirmity. It's not something that you do right. That's not a that's not an ethical thing to do. 
but he is the president of the United States and he's clearly foggy and he's clearly too old. And it's a problem for all of us that this is the reality. And it's shameful that Democrats have put this guy who is declining in front of our very eyes in this role. So I'm angry at them. I'm angry at the people that propped him up. I'm angry at the media outlets that pretended like he was up for this job. And I, I know how they do this. Oh, how dare you? You you're you're d- d- dementia. You know, you're talking about his dementia and all this stuff. Yeah. Well, what choice do we have? The guy shouldn't be president of the United States, obviously. Oh, but they they are going to start saying otherwise really loudly now. Oh, no, the Afghan situation. It was all about the decision. The gutsy call. Here's Saki bomb. Getting you ready for it. Play four. The president stands by his decision to bring our men and women home from Afghanistan, because if he had not, his view and the view of many experts and military out there is we would have sent tens of thousands, potentially, or thousands at least more troops uh, back into harm's way, risking more lives and more people uh, to fight a war the Afghans were not willing to fight themselves. Nothing has changed in that regard. Biden, the hero. That's going to be the narrative you hear. That's going to be what what the uh, the storyline is from his partisans. He made the right call. He did the right thing. Joe Biden's just great. He's just great. I know. How could that be? It will be. That's what they'll say. And it's on us to hold them to account. It's on us to speak the truth about this. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation carries forward a legacy of courage and heroism. To mark 20 years, Tunnel to Towers is gifting America's heroes and their families with 200 mortgage-free homes. To honor the fallen, Chairman and CEO Frank Siller walks more than 500 miles through six states in 42 days from the Pentagon to Shanksville, culminating at Ground Zero on 9-11. Towers of Light return to the Pentagon and Shanksville memorials in remembrance, and for the first time, Those we lost to 9-11-related illness are being honored at a ceremony on September 12th. On Veterans Day, another first, the soldiers we lost in the war on terror are having their names read aloud. The words, never forget, require action. Do good and take action now. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. T2T, Tunnel to Towers Foundation, T2T.org. The Fauciite madness is reaching its uh, its end stage here. Um, the Fauciite madness is getting to the point now where there's nothing too absurd, nothing too stupid for them to do. Um, first of all, I, I wanted to mention that you'll see they use their power wherever they can. The left, the lockdowners, when it's Democrats in charge of the state, the state locks you down. The state mandates vaccines. When they are in charge of the federal government now, of course, the same thing. And if they can, they'll just use the private sector as their proxy in all of this. We need protections from these mandates. We need governors to step up. I'm already talking to one governor in a I shouldn't say a governor. I'm talking to some people in a state where I know the governor is open to the idea of conscience protections from forced vaccination. And I'm certainly hoping that that goes forward. It's early stage, though. So um, people around the guy who would have to sign it, I'm talking to, um, because there has been some, uh, let's just say, unwillingness from other 
uh, governor's mansions to take a stand and be a leader. But Florida Ron DeSantis, Florida's Ron DeSantis, of course, getting it done. Still the best governor in America. And here he is on how they got rid of uh, his rather lo- localities are just overriding. He's the governor and these localities are in his state. But they're saying, oh, no, we are going to mandate masks, even though you say there has to be an option, a mandate cannot be in place. There must be an opt out based on parents for their kids. The localities are just saying, no, they're just being lawless, essentially. Here's what Ron DeSantis says about their actions. Play 11. Well, it's, it's going to be appealed. Obviously, it's problematic. If you look at the ruling, he's basically saying that it had it violated the school school boards. The parents' bill of rights violates the school board. But in reality, the school boards weren't even parties to the case. So I think we're going to have really good grounds to appeal um, in terms of uh, the first district court of appeal. And look, at the end of the day, what the parents' bill of rights requires, in our judgment, is that parents be given the right to opt out. Yeah. Parents should have a right to opt out, obviously, obviously. But Democrats don't want that. Notice how it's never enough for them to lockdowners are never content to protect themselves. They must control you, too. Somehow they have all these things that they think really work. Masking, vaccine, social distancing, hand washing, all these different things. But it's never enough. You have to do it too, all of it or else you're a bad person. This should tell you something about their mentality and the reality of what we are what we are facing here. Um, and then there's Amherst College. This is some crazy stuff. This is my alma mater. I, I just had to bring this up to you um, where it was always liberal. I mean, it was there were always issues with it in that regard. But I knew that it was going to get particularly crazy. I, I knew that it was likely that uh, they were going to get out of control in this era of COVID. Even with a vaccine mandate in place, okay, Amherst College has a vaccine mandate in place. It is keeping its dining hall closed, and it is barring students from walking. I mean, the town next to Amherst College, is it's across the street. I mean, you walk 50 yards and you're in town. You're not allowed to go in town other than for, quote, essential business. This is from Alec McGillis on Twitter. Essential business like banking or pharmacy needs. I, I mean, this is insane. They're telling this is a, a college, not a uh, college campus that's saying you can't leave campus to go into town except for specific needs that we designate. And everyone on this campus is vaccinated. Everybody. They have a vaccine mandate. So they're all vaxxed which means that they shouldn't have to worry about hospitalization or death, right? Because even though we know you can still give the virus and get the virus when you're vaxxed, they tell you you can't get, and they're at low risk anyway because they're young. I mean, all the college students are obviously at very low risk. They're fine, less risky for them than the flu, but they're not allowed to go into town. And how are they even going to enforce this? What kind of insanity is this? Anyone who has tested positive for COVID will be put into isolation for 10 days in a dorm room designated for this. You have to go into quarantine for 10 days if you test positive for COVID in a room that they assign you, because obviously there's a lot of cohabitation, uh, you know, co-living situations with students. I, I got to tell you, th- this is 
This is madness. This is madness. Um, Outdoors, students must wear face covering. Outdoor mask mandate. All community members must mask if they are attending a gathering of more than 25 people, regardless of where it is. This is crazy. This isn't science. This is a religious belief for left-wing loons who think that CNN is God and who think that if they obey Fauci all the time, they'll live forever. We are all going to die. We are all on borrowed time. We all should make the best use of the time we have and live free and happy and meaningful lives. And you can't do that with idiot libs running around telling you to triple mask. Don't go see anyone. Don't go do anything. Oh, my gosh, the Delta virus. uh." What a bunch of cowards. They're such babies. This is the truth of the Fauci madness. These are people who who are of weak mind and weak character. Oh, I can't go into town or else maybe I'll be near somebody who's come. They're vaccinated. Anyway. Oh, I mentioned uh, one quick thing. I mentioned the reality here of um, COVID and uh, and also the media uh, media numbers on this. This is stunning. You have such a huge disparity in whether if you're a Democrat, you basically believe the media. If you're a Republican, you don't. Uh, here we go. I'll give you the uh, Republicans with trust in national media, 70 percent in 2016, 35 percent in 2021. I love it. Love it. Do not trust the lib media. Don't trust them. Democrats, by the way, 83 percent trust the media. OK, 83 percent trust the media. 30 percent of Republicans trust the media. National news organizations. Democrats are living in a fantasy land, a fantasy land where they think the media is unbiased because it feeds them what they want to hear. It feeds them what they want to believe. We don't do that here. Please make sure you subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If you're not already subscribed, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, We have a lot of folks who think I'm only doing one podcast over at the Clay and Buck Show, and I want them to be listening to this show first thing every morning. This is the one you can get to quickly. And uh, also go to bucksaxon.locals.com. Uh, there'll be more Locals content for subscribers only coming up this week. Uh, but also I'll be posting other stuff for everybody. So just join that community. The more people who join, the more I'll be able to post things and spend time on it and everything else. So we're just getting to a critical mass right now. But we're ramping up bucksaxon.locals.com. I'll talk to you tomorrow, team. Shields high.